1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. So I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Thanks, Al. Uh, It's not my intention to speak for as long this time, uh, but... I actually find that 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 27 ties together a lot of the threads that uh, I've been talking about. Um, And uh, I'll try not to repeat myself, but let me show you the implications of this Bible passage. And particularly what Paul's talking about here is his his work as a minister of the gospel, as a, a missioner or missionary. And if you dig around just a little bit... um, I'm not a Greek scholar, but uh, me and my computer, we can, we can do Greek together still. Uh, when you actually look, what, what the original language will show you is that Paul, in two different ways, talks about being a slave. And they're two different ways that seem quite different, and yet they fit together. Let me show you what he means about being a slave in the first and second half of this passage and how it relates to, to mission work. Okay, So in verse 19, now, Scott, do we have a... Oh, yeah, good work. Okay, excellent. You see in verse 19, he says, he talks about the first kind of slavery. He says, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant. Uh, ESV's got servant. It's actually, the word's actually slave, doulos. Um, or doulo, oh, I, I have enslaved myself. I've enslaved myself to all that I might win um, more of them. Okay, so um, literally uh, he's enslaved himself. Why? To win people for the gospel. And then in 9 verse 27, he says this, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching others I myself should be disqualified. Now the keep it under control, yep, the keep it under control translation, it's actually a variation on on the doulos, the slavery word, uh, doulagogo, it's a great word, isn't it? Doulagogo, doulos, Ago to lead as a slave. So I actually make my body a slave or enslave my body, lead it as a slave. So both the words about slavery, and here's what, here's what I think is beautiful, the way he's put it together. One of these, this slavery leads to huge flexibility, right? just complete kind of flexibility about things, and the other slavery leads to complete discipline and holding the line. 
So let me show you how these two, right? Complete flexibility and complete discipline, how do they fit together? All right, let's have a look. He, he talks to me in verse nine, from verse 19 about making himself a slave for others. And I'll read it again. We'll, okay, you'll get it. I'm sure you're familiar with it. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all or slave to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. What's the point? Simple is he's prepared to change his behaviour and whatever he does in order to help people hear the gospel. Right? He's prepared to change. A uh, bit like that well-known... Uh, political statement, statesman who uh, wrote a book about politics called Whatever It Takes. Okay, Only Paul has slightly different goals in mind, but he'll do whatever it takes. And it must have been very hard for him as a, as a strict Pharisee and all of those things that he valued to give them up, you know, to, to eat things that were unclean, to behave differently in terms of special days and the way they kept the Sabbath and all those kind of things. And... Uh, whether he ate meat or drank alcohol or whatever, and yet he was prepared to do that so people could hear the gospel. Um, now, question to us, if you want to be missioner to the culture, will we do that? Um, a really simple example. When I speak in the CBD in Sydney, um, i got to dress up in a suit and tie. Uh, I don't particularly like suits. I think ties are really dumb, but... You, you wear a suit and tie, it's kind of, it's the uniform, it's invisible. There. Okay. No one even, that, you just, that's what you do. So, all right. Uh, I can be all things to all guys in the finance industry or whatever. Um, but I know I've been rabbiting on about the change thing, but like after years of doing this for, for denominations, for churches and for individuals, the biggest single issue is about change. And are we prepared to change? Um, the denominations, see, the, the question often is not so much seeing what needs to be done, it's do you have the will to do it. So last year I got asked to speak for a particular denomination um, in New South Wales. They're, they're, there's a small number of churches, they're good guys, they've held the line theologically. There's two fine Christian men who asked me to come and speak and I think what they wanted me to do was basically, Al, can you get out there and kind of tell them what needs to be said and kind of give them an uppercut, and then they'll tar and feather you, and um, you can drive home, and then we'll jump in. At, you know. So I did. I asked for the two yearbooks for, um, uh, can you help me with the date, Scott? It was for 19, uh, sorry, for 2000 and 2010, the yearbooks that listed all their congregations. And here's the facts. Um, they have um, around 30 churches, 50% of those churches have less than 50 people. 40% of their churches have less than 25 people. Most of their churches will not exist in 10 years' time if they don't do something. And they're sitting on multi-million dollars worth of property. Now, like I said, they're, they're, they're good people. They love the Lord. But do they have the will to do what needs to be done um, to be all things to all people so that people might hear the God. 
I guess the jury's still out. But the great factor working against it is palliative care is comfortable. Um, but even individual churches, whether or not individual churches will do, and I know I've, I've carried on and so on about that, but it's are we prepared to change so that people can hear the gospel. And you know what? Even individual Christians, it comes down to. Um, and, I, and I don't just mean people who are, there's some people who are just natural evangelists and they can't help themselves. But for most of us, it's a simple question like, will I put myself out in terms of will I talk to someone who I don't know at church? Will I change my social pattern so I can welcome someone into a social group that's involved with church? Now, pastors, let me ask you a question, and, or ladies and gentlemen, is your church friendly? Here's a newsflash, you ready? You don't know whether it's friendly or not because you're the pastor or you're married to him or you're um, the ladies. You guys are really involved in your churches up to here. Everyone knows you. You don't know whether it's friendly or not. The only way you'll know is if you get a visitor to come along once or twice. And I'll tell you a story. When I worked as a, uh, a bishop in the southern area of Sydney, I had to do confirmations. Okay, If you're not an Anglican, you'll missed out on the joy of confirmations. Basically, you go along, preach, kids, 14, 15, 16, usually make a declaration wanting to follow Jesus. It's great. I would turn up, and of course, everyone's nice to the bishop, blah, blah. And this is on the, ti- the times when people were expecting visitors to come. Here's what happened frequently, though. If my Kathy came with me, Kathy's, um, Kathy's Chinese, uh, early 50s, looks about 35, which is not fair, um, easily approachable. And if, if she walked into the building at a different time to me, sometimes I would need to go in 10, 15 minutes early to get stuff ready, and she'd come in later and sit down. And regularly, if that church didn't know who she was, she wasn't spoken to. They wouldn't talk to her. The people ignored her. <laughs> Until they found out she was the first lady, and then everyone's all over, of course. See, yeah. You, was that a friendly church? Of course, they were really friendly to me, but they didn't speak to this sweet-looking Asian lady who turned up kind of, you don't know. It's pretty simple, isn't it, in terms of will I change, will I do what Paul says so that people can hear the gospel? And even in gospel ministry, I say what, what us clergy have to be aware of is that a, a, a ministry career can become pretty comfortable. It can, and I say career deliberately, and I hope it grates with you. Um, it can become pretty comfortable. And are we prepared to change what we do so that more people will hear the gospel and, and where we spend our time? Um, and it almost always involves pain and difficulty, but for the sake of others. Uh, okay. So where does that change? Someone, someone asked me earlier on, where does that change come from? How do you motivate people who who are in a church, who are comfortable, who aren't seeing growth, who are, how do you motivate? The only way to motivate people is they've got to so clearly understand the gospel that they're prepared to put themselves out for other people so they can hear. You know, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all die. And why does Paul do it? See verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Um, sun uh, koinonos, like together fellowship is what he says, uh, share in its blessing. So because of the gospel, Christ crucified, risen again and so on, um, he does it 
and he wants to share in that blessing with people. All right, so that's the first kind of slavery, and we talked about it, the idea that kind of slavery means you'll be infinitely flexible about what you do and how you behave and, and so on. The second kind is, very, is if you like, complementary and completely different. See verse um, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Um, the uh, race word there, stadion, a stadia was 185 metres. So that's probably, you know, that's the distance they ran, you know, in the, um, uh, in the athletic events and so on. What's he saying? Be deliberate about how you're running or literally, you know, how you're living is what he's talking about. Then, Scott, have we got the 925 verse? Okay, great. If you've got an NIV Bible, the NIV translates it as, um, it's kind of right what they say, but it's not literally what Paul says. NIV will read, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Okay, we, uh, yeah, but really what he says literally is every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Right, so you've got, you got the difference. What it does, the NIV doesn't actually communicate the self-control word. Um, self-control? Do you think where that's mentioned, particularly in the scriptures? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, and self-control. The last of the fruit of the Spirit, together. Um, uh, and uh, so Paul mentions it as uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit, in, um, or one of the fruit of the Spirit. They're all they're a unit in um, Galatians 5, or uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says this, um, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue, knowledge, and with knowledge, uh, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness. Isn't it interesting that if, if you talk about being a spiritual person, what do we kind of, what do we think of? Self-control may not be very high on the list. And yet, I, I think it's the, it's the key to godliness. Self-control. So what does Paul say? Look at the, the examples he chooses. Verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Uh, I control my own body, the, his appetites and actions. and uh, The athlete, they work hard for, what's he, you know, for a... A transitory reward. What's the exact word? It's a wreath that perishes. Yeah, these just to get the kind of laurel wreath thing. Now athletes get a gold medal. It's a little bit more substantial, but it it doesn't last compared to what we compete for. Um, or the other example is boxing. You see a boxer that really knows what they're doing, uh, calm, steady, and alert. But it's all about self-control and discipline. And what's interesting is. The two examples of ministry that he chooses are just hard work. So the athlete, literally the word for athlete is um, agonizomai. All right? Agonizomai, uh, one who struggles, the, the athlete word. Uh, why? Mi- ministry is hard work. It is. It's just plain hard work. <laughs> I said to Kathy last night, as I'm sitting there, you know, it's about 7.30 at night, I'm thinking about going to bed. I said, do I... I just can't work like I used to. I just can't work like I used to. I, I get tired. And you will. You just, there's no better cause to give your life to. And you'll, 
you'll die by inches and you'll love doing it, but you'll die, okay? It is hard work. And the boxing one, um, I reckon it's all about the fact that you will, you'll get hit. Um, uh, you'll get knocked down. You'll get criticised. You'll get knocked about. Uh, different way of putting it, if you like. Yeah, you, ministry's hard. Now, here's a question for you, though. Why does he, why does he emphasise self-control? That, that's interesting, isn't it? Why emphasise self-control? Um, I tell you why. Because self-control is absolutely essential in the ministry. Why? Uh, how many hours of unscheduled time in the week do we have? About 164, probably, especially once you're a senior minister. Uh, and it gives massive opportunities for... Um, well, sin, I guess, you could put it that way. Uh, all sorts of opportunities. And in the ministry, it's not just spare time that we have, but relational opportunities too that we need to be disciplined about. So, gentlemen, when you're in the ministry, especially you young guys who are students, listen to this, when you're in the ministry, women will treat you with trust and respect um, uh, in some ways that you don't deserve, but that you have to be so very, very careful with. They will give you trust and respect that, uh, yeah, you have to be so careful with. Uh, why do we need to be self-controlled? Well, you know, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, 17, the lust of the flesh, being controlled by our senses, the lust of the eyes, greed and envy, the pride of life, the way we try to impress each other, and so on. Now, I reckon we'll all have different struggles in the area of, of, of discipline and so on. Um, one that I think so many guys struggle with is time. Um, uh, you know, when do you work? When do you sleep? When do you so on? Uh, I know I'm you know old and grumpy, but I, used to, I talk about trainees and our students. When you get out into church life, if you want people to treat you like a growing up, you've got to start keeping growing up hours. You can't sleep until nine thirty in the morning every. You know, you can't work or hang around till 1 or 2 in the morning and then sleep till 9.30. You need to actually keep working hours so people at work can take you seriously. Um, how long do you spend on a sermon? Well, you know, there's some guys that end up spending 40 minutes on it, which is obviously wrong, and there's some guys that end up spending 40 hours on it, which is, some. you know, I reckon, you know, a day a week or two mornings, you've got to be disciplined on that. Some of you need to be disciplined to spend enough time. Some need to be disciplined to not spend the whole week on it because uh, there's other things that have to be done. All sorts of things you need to be disciplined about. Um, who do we spend our time with? Um, money. And that is you've got to be disciplined actually raising money for your church in terms of talking to people and teaching them and that kind of thing. And you've got to be disciplined in terms of stopping spending it. That's uh, <laughs> my problem. So... Um, I've got an app on my phone now, and this month I promised my wife, Kathy that I will put all the money I spend this month on this budget app so she can look at that so we can work out a budget. All right? That's my... I'm not very disciplined in that area. Alcohol, how much do you drink? You, you need to be disciplined about that. Um, I'm, I don't control it very well, so I've just stopped drinking. I haven't had a drink for six years and one month, whatever about that. So I, I'm not, I don't control that very well. I've stopped. How much do you eat? Uh, do you exercise? Are you physically fit? If you're going to work hard, if you're going to lead men, gentlemen, you actually need to be reasonably fit. 
um, and so on. So how do you be? How do you work at being disciplined about that? I make just certain rules that I stick to. That's my way of kind of coping with it. Why do we need to be disciplined? Well, look, the stakes are very high. See verse 27? But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Why? Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There you go. There's, there's the Apostle Paul saying that he disciplines himself so that he, he won't miss out on salvation. Um, and probably, you know, I've uh, been doing this for a while, and as I look around, you guys have been involved for a long time too. Uh, what breaks your heart? In the last year, I've had three men that I would have counted as, uh, as friends, not close mates, I didn't see them regularly, but three men who would be friends and peers in ministry um, are now out of ministry because they committed adultery. Um, and at least one man that I went through Bible college with has walked away from the faith. How has it happened? Like, it's not that they missed the lecture on 1 Corinthians 6, you know, at college. So it was just, it was just a hundred little compromises that they happened and then it all gets out of control. So it's discipline and to the point of saying salvation's on the line. Uh, now, here's the, some of us, I reckon, will be naturally flexible and easy to adjust and all that kind of thing like the first part, and others of us will be naturally disciplined and, and organised and kind of hold the line, and, and it's the work of God to give you both in your life, to make you the mission uh, man, man or woman concerned for mission um, uh, and saving others and holding discipline. Um, so there you go. That's... Now, thoughts, comments, we need to be two kinds of slave. 